Welcome, everybody. This is For the Love of Money, where we are making you unapologetic about your pursuit of success by sharing the tools, tips, and stories of those who have already made it. My name is Chris Harder, and each week I will bring you incredible guests in order to prove that when good people make good money, they do great things. Welcome back, everybody, to another amazing episode of For the Love of Money. And today, I am pumped to sit down with the one and only Craig Ballantyne. Now, most of you probably know Craig because he is the online fitness sensation who's turned into this expert business coach who's helped his clients sell over $250 million worth of products. So you can imagine the wealth of knowledge that he has to share with us today. He's also the best-selling author of The Perfect Day Formula, and creator of the Perfect Day Formula Kit, which by the way, I have and it's awesome. And if you're saying there's no such thing as a perfect day, wait until you hear his definition of what a perfect day is, and better yet, how you can create one. And also, you're gonna love his story on how he overcame crippling anxiety. And when you hear the story, you'll realize, I mean crippling anxiety, in order to become so successful. So we get real deep into how you too can deal with anxiety, whether you have a little bit or a lot of it. So get ready and listen up because this episode is incredible. All right, Craig, my friend, I am so grateful you took the time to jump on with me today. Yeah, this is going to be so much fun. It really is. It's funny. We we're just talking offline about our, both of our introverted type natures that we're working on, you know, exercising and, and getting a little bit more outgoing. And, and a podcast is a great way for us to, to connect and do that. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, people who label themselves an introvert or even an extrovert, you're doing yourself a disservice. And so labeling uh, yourself anything is not very helpful because everything's a learnable skill. And so you can always shift yourself as you if you feel like you're an introvert and you kind of hide behind that. By all means, you can put yourself out of your comfort zone, learn some skills, and step out into more of an extroverted, or you just, you know, a social and better communicator and all that good stuff. And you can improve those skills and then leverage that into wealth building or generosity or whatever it is that you want. It's so true. I, I feel like people sell that idea short. You know, they they forget that everything is basically a muscle that you can exercise, a muscle that you can grow. So just because you might have ended up one way doesn't mean that has to be the end of the story at all. No, no. It's really just the start, which is a, a place for you to do a deep dive and jump in and just enjoy the process. I think that's another thing people need to understand, whether it is becoming a better salesperson or becoming a better communicator or becoming more social. Just enjoy the process. And every time you go out there and you have, uh, you know, something doesn't go well, just, you know, smile, say what an adventure that was and move on. <laughs> That's definitely a good way to handle things that don't go well. Okay, so listen, before we dive into it, I always love to start with your story, um, simply because I feel like when the listeners get a chance to really get to know you, then all the awesomeness that you have to offer them, it seeps in that much more. So give us a, an idea of like what your upbringing was like and how did it lead to all of this success and epic knowledge that you have today? Yeah, so you and I were talking before offline about how we love, I love Midwestern people. I'm from Canada. I uh, grew up on a farm in Canada in a home in a city called Stratford. And I always like to say what, where I'm from because it's the hometown of Justin Bieber. So I will never be the most famous person to come out of my hometown, but I will also never be the most disliked person to come out of my hometown. So, so you know, there's a bit of yin and yang to that. So I grew up there. I grew up on a farm. Um, I did have those introverted tendencies when I was younger. And I grew up in a small town where in Canada, if you grow up in a small town, you do two things when you become a teenager. You play hockey and you start drinking beer. And I did start drinking beer and partying. And, and that helped with the introverted stuff, but it didn't help in a long-term thing. And then went to college and I got a master's degree in exercise physiology. I got very lucky that I got writing for men's health in 2000 when I was still 25. I was a graduate student. That allowed me to build a program called Turbulence Training and get some fa uh, fame and credibility. And I built an online fitness business that I ran for about 15 years after that, had a lot of success and have helped a lot of people online. So I was very grateful for that. But all along the way, I was still that farm boy who was partying on the weekends, being good boy during the week, partying on the weekends. And it caught up to me in 2006, which was the lowest point in my life when I was about 30 years old. So I had these anxiety attacks from what I call the paradox of freedom, Chris. I was having this online business that allowed me to 
you know, work whenever I wanted from wherever I wanted. And I did that. I worked all the time. And then I also was able to go out whenever I wanted. And I partied all the time and it caught up to me. And I had these severe crippling anxiety attacks, one that actually lasted for six weeks. And like, I felt like I was having a heart attack 24 hours a day, seven days a week for six weeks. I could sleep about four hours a day. And uh, eventually I went to the emergency room twice and walked in and said to this uh, very skeptical looking person behind the desk. I mean, when I walked in, you know, here's a 30 year old guy coming in at midnight on a Sunday night. You know, what does this guy want? I mean, he looks totally fine. And as soon as I said, I think I'm having a heart attack, uh, definitely changed his outlook on me. And they rushed me to the back. And eventually, Chris, it turned out that I was okay physically. And I went and did a whole bunch of stuff to overcome the anxiety. I did meditation, Qigong, yoga, all of these things that I didn't enjoy. But Taught me how to breathe better, which is funny to say, but I learned had to learn how to breathe properly and become more patient, slow down, put more structure in my life. And that was one of the turning points of my life was 2006. Um, does that all make sense so far? Yeah, absolutely. And I actually want to go a little deeper on these crippling anxiety attacks because yeah, by all this means. affects more people, I think, than we realize. Some on a very shallow level, some in yep. a crippling level and everything in between. And it's one of the reasons why so many of our listeners don't move forward in their business. So describe to us what it's like to have your version of a crippling anxiety attack. I mean, six weeks in a row, are you kidding me? And then what did you do to really start to overcome these? I know you said you worked on the Qigong and the, the breathing, but what can people out there do? Absolutely. Great question. And so it's funny, you know, just this week, New York Times has a very popular, it's one of their most popular articles of the week about how how anxiety is more prevalent in teenagers than ever before. And I think this is a combination of many things that it, you know, it's affecting 40 million Americans, which is another stat that I read uh, in a newspaper somewhere, 40 million Americans a year. It's more prevalent because people are reporting it more, but also probably because of societal pressures and also social media and all this stuff. And you know, the number one cause of first world problems is comparison syndrome. And I, I'm sure that that leads to it as well as high caffeine intakes in teenagers these days. I know caffeine was a, an issue for me. I'm very sensitive to it. And so that did not help. So most people, what they'll do is they'll just feel that stress. They might feel a little bit of tightness in their chest. They feel anxious, short of breath, uh, you know, lots of thoughts running through their head. And that's a mild day for me when I had the anxiety. Now on the full blown day, it literally felt like I was having a heart attack because as a master's degree in exercise physiology, I was very familiar with what a heart attack should feel like. Tingling in your extremities. Uh, I had tingling from the top of my head down all the way to the end of my fingertips, uh, literally 24 hours a day, seven days a week for that six week period in 2006. I had a tight chest, elevated heart rate. I couldn't breathe very well. And so that is all symptoms of a heart attack. And that's why I went to the emergency room. I mean, it was after I had spent the entire day pacing back and forth in my little tiny little condo in Toronto. And I thought, oh my goodness, here I am, this guy who's writing for Men's Health, who has this online fitness program, and I'm going to die alone, a loser, in my apartment building in Toronto because of this anxiety attack that was brought on by Red Bull and alcohol. I really thought, I mean, that was like the... That was the second lowest point. The lowest point was six weeks later when I asked one of my um, obese personal training clients who was 310 pounds, five foot three, an overweight, stressed out lawyer. And it was a regular Monday morning. I mean, I hadn't been drinking or had no caffeine and I was training him. And in the middle of the session, I just had this sense of impending doom. That's the way I can, only way I can describe it. And I said, I need you to take me to the hospital. And he looked at me like I had nine heads, like he just couldn't understand it. And so that's when I started describing anxiety as a black box. And so anybody out there who is suffering from anxiety, whether it's the full blown or whether it is this, the uh, little, little bits, you know, here and there, anxiety is a black box because first of all, you cannot explain it to yourself. What is this feeling? Why do I feel this way? How did this come on? And the funny thing is, Chris, is that these things will come on from the oddest things. Like, you know, someone will say something and it will remind you of a time when you were stressed out and then you'll have an anxiety attack. And it might just be about, you know, oh, we had family Thanksgiving and I just didn't enjoy it. And the next thing you know, you have an anxiety attack. So you don't know why they come on. And then you can't explain it to somebody because I can explain to you when I have a broken arm. You know, it's like, oh, you know, the bone in the arm, it broke it. And now I have to have a cast on. Everybody understands that. But nobody understands the mental illness of anxiety. They're just like, 
what do you mean? Like you're freaking out. And that's how I actually felt. I felt like I was freaking out all the time. It's only, that's the only way I could describe it. And I actually hired a business coach at the same time. And I remember I was getting on these calls with him and I would say to myself in my mind, don't freak out, don't freak out, don't freak out. Before I got on these calls with uh, my coach, Tom, I thought I would have to like just immediately run away from the phone and step outside to get fresh air or something. So that was how I, um, how it manifested in me. Sometimes it would come out of nowhere. And then sometimes it was not surprising because I was hung over or something from the night before or I had consumed 200 milligrams of caffeine or something like that, or something was really stressful and that you could understand at least in a way. And so what is, uh, you know, to the second part of your question, what is the way that people can deal with this? And so I'm actually working on a, a new book right now because <clears throat> I, because I've spoken on this so many places on podcasts uh, from the stage in my Instagram all over the place, I talk about this a lot. I get a lot of messages from people in the emergency room saying, oh my gosh, Craig, I know what you're feeling like. I'm going through this right now. Or, you know, some people will message me the next morning after they had woken up at two o'clock in the morning, felt like they were having a heart attack and went to the doctor. And after all these people messaged me, I was like, oh, my gosh, I got to go and write this book. And in the book, I talk about basically the traditional stuff. Like you have to learn how to breathe properly, not short and shallow from your upper chest because that actually makes your anxiety worse. But actually from your belly, you know, classic belly Buddha breath that you get in yoga and meditation and Qigong and all of these Eastern style um, recovery methods. So that's the first step. And that makes sense, right? Yep. Okay, perfect. And then, you know, nutrition, you, need, you should have good nutrition and not a lot of sugar and not a lot of alcohol, and not a lot of caffeine, which seems obvious. But, you know, when you're a young guy in the big city, uh, even though I knew better, I just didn't have the structure in place for my life. And then sleep, you should have good sleep. Obviously, if you only sleep four hours a night, then you are going to feel stressed and it's going to lead to the anxiety attack. So all of that is obvious. Most people are going to say, you know what, I should probably take care of my lifestyle a little bit. But then you get into more interesting stuff that I think is probably even more helpful. And one of them is the way I describe it as getting outside of your own head. Because if you just sit there, as I did that very first day, in my tiny little apartment, pacing back and forth, thinking, oh my gosh, what could be wrong with me? Am I going to die? It only makes it worse. But if you get outside into fresh air and you get outside not only physically but also mentally and you start talking to other people, opening up. I mean I know it's very difficult to say like I'm freaking out. I have a mental illness here. I have anxiety. It's very difficult to say that to, to people especially if you think they're going to make fun of you. But you have to find the right person and confide in them. I know that when I went to that emergency room the first time and they took me to the back and I was able to tell the nurse this is what I'm feeling – and she held my hand and patted me on the stomach and on the head. My goodness, that just turned my world uh, back up to normal because I was able to get it out of my head. So there's that aspect to it. But also, how can you be generous and not worry about your own problems but help other people improve their problems? Can you go and donate your time? Can you go and teach somebody? Can you go and you know listen to somebody else and help them? And believe it or not, that can actually really get you out of the anxiety because you stop thinking about yourself. You stop, you know, the wheel spinning mile and, you know, thoughts running miles, uh, you know, 100 miles an hour in your head. And it's so helpful. So that was helpful for me with the anxiety stuff. I send a thank you card every day. I do gratitude journaling every day. I know a lot of people use the phrase, you know, this changed my life. I can honestly say that gratitude journaling changed my life. And I can honestly say that sending a thank you card every day changed my life. And I can honestly say that a quote from Maya Angelou changed my life. She said, uh, the difference uh, – people will forget what, the, what you said. People will forget what you do. But people will never forget what you, uh, how you made them feel. And I realized I was a bit of a jerk at that time too. And so I needed to start going and being nicer to people. And when I started doing that and, and focusing on making people feel better, I also had a significant redu reduction in my anxiety. So all of those things are very helpful. And then also get outside, get some sunshine, go for a walk. And then combine that with the breathing, nutrition, and all that good stuff. And, you know, that will get you on the track to success. Now, it's not easy. It's not overnight. But doing that. And then also, I should say, I should have said this at the very start. Go to the doctor. Make sure that there is nothing physically wrong with you. Because as soon as I knew that there was nothing physically wrong with me, 
Um, I get, maybe I'm a bit of a hypochondriac, but it totally made me feel so much better. It put me on the uh, fast track to success because I'm like, okay, there's nothing physically wrong with me, which means that I just need to take a look at my life, do some self-reflection here and fix, you know, then it's clearly something that's in my head and I can fix that. And that was very, very helpful. So those were all the things. I actually do have one more funny story if we have time. No, please. Okay, so all of the uh, meditation and Qigong stuff, I never enjoyed, or I, at the point, I didn't enjoy that stuff. Today, I'm okay with meditation, but I also read that if you pet a dog, that you can get rid of anxiety and depression. So I thought, okay, I've always wanted a dog. Uh, you know, I had some when I was a kid, but now that I was a grown-up, I hadn't had a dog of my own. I've been thinking about it, so I thought, okay, this is the last straw. I'm going to go and get a dog. So I looked up where I could go and get a chocolate lab because those are amazing dogs, amazingly friendly dogs. And I drove under the country, went to a breeder and got this little puppy dog. And I drove all the way back to Toronto and I thought, okay, here we go. Let's go for a walk. And I tried to take him for a walk and he was really stubborn and he just sat there. And so I'm like kind of pulling him around the block in downtown Toronto and people are probably thinking I'm abusing this poor little animal. So the next day I think, okay, he's a Labrador retriever. I'm going to take him to the park and play fetch with him. Key, you know, because keyword retriever, he's a Labrador retriever. So I take him to the park, throw the ball, no dice. He doesn't follow it. He doesn't do anything. So I'm like, okay. So I drag him all the way back to the apartment. Third day I have him. I'm like, okay, I have to go out for some meetings. I'm going to leave him here, come back in a couple hours. I come back and there's all these nasty notes on my door from my neighbors who say, you know, your dog's crying and you got to shut him up or we're going to, you know, get you kicked out of here. And I realized he had separation anxiety. And then I said to myself, oh my gosh, I bought the dog version of me. <laughs> you know, so I had, I had this dog who got anxiety from me and he gave me more anxiety. Oh my goodness, uh, Chris, for, for the next four weeks, it was a bit of a struggle, but eventually, um, you know, he's my best friend. He's 12 years old now. He is, uh, you know, the light of my life. And so I'm really glad that I got him, but Oh my goodness, for those first four weeks, the anxiety went and got even worse. That's funny. You know, I'm a huge dog lover, and they say dogs definitely reflect their owners and, and vice versa. So that's, that well, doesn't yeah, surprise me. That's hilarious. You know, I, Craig, I want to thank you for your transparency and, and then uh, your knowledge, your solutions after that, because I think it empowers everybody who's listening that if they feel anxiety at any level, A, it can be managed, and B, they can still be massively successful. Because I feel like they get in their heads and they say, I'm never going to be able to overcome this. Therefore, I'm never going to be able to reach my dreams. Have you seen a trend of that in the people you coach? I will definitely say that there's a trend for anxiety to hold people back. And just to you know, go back to what you said when you said thank you. I mean, I actually, I love telling the story for two reasons. One, I know that at least 5% of your audience is going to say, oh my gosh, this is what I've been feeling. Because every time I speak in front of 100 people, there's five people after that say, you know, I had an emergency, had an anxiety attack in the airport and they had to call the EMS and all this stuff. And so, listen, it's totally okay. And I want everybody to understand that it's totally okay. And every time that I tell the story, I get healthier from it. I get, I move myself further and further away from the anxiety because I have the strength over it because I am sharing this and I'm like, wow, you know, it just makes me feel good to share this and help other people. So it's part of that getting out of your head. Now, how does it hold people back? Well, it holds people back because at the root of anxiety is self-doubt and every single person struggles with self-doubt. I mean, I say self-doubt is the number one killer of people's hopes and dreams and self-doubt leads to low self-confidence. Low self-confidence leads to people making bad decisions with alcohol and caffeine and kind of you know, self-medicating. And when you self-medicate, that leads to the anxiety. And one other thing, Chris, that so many entrepreneurs do, especially female entrepreneurs, but we all put so, we all take on so much stuff and we suffer in silence. And suffering in silence is the worst thing that you can do when you are struggling or when you're stressed out. So our, uh, our mutual friend, Bedros Kulin, has been on your show, I believe. Yep, absolutely. Okay, so Bedros has been my business partner since 2010, and in 2014, he started struggling with his business, and he was suffering in silence. And as a coach, I didn't realize this until about two years later when I started working with some of his clients. I mean, he basically had 500 clients bringing him all of their problems, and he wasn't telling anybody else. Obviously, he was keeping it in confidence, but he wasn't telling anybody else like how – 
when you hear 500 people's problems, that's going to weigh heavy on you in addition to having your own struggles. And so he was suffering in silence. And then he went and had his own anxiety attacks. And he had the same thoughts as I did. He, he was in his guest house and he was worried that he was going to die and his wife was going to find him all bloated. I remember when he tells his story, he says he really focuses on that. He's like, of all the things I was worried about, I was just really worried they were going to find me bloated. <laughs> it's really funny. He was just, but he was in his guest house having an anxiety attack, thought he was having a heart attack, and it was because he suffered in silence. And so that is a trend of entrepreneurs. In addition to, we all have those self doubt struggles. As a, you know, entrepreneur, you're on that roller coaster. You know, one day you're up, oh, I made sales today. The next day, like, where's you know where. Where are all the closings of the sales? Why isn't anything going right? And the next day you're back up and then you're down. You know, that's just the entrepreneur roller coaster. And if you don't tell somebody, if you don't have a confident, if you don't have a mentor, if you don't have a good buddy that you can share these, these with, it can really, really build up in you. And just like in any communication, any relationship, if you let a little problem, it, uh, if you don't communicate about it, if you don't fix it, you know how like, all of a sudden, next thing you know, you're passive aggressive with somebody about it and it just grows and grows and grows. It festers into something and it becomes, you know, eventually you have a huge blow up. And it's the same within ourselves. If we don't deal with that trauma uh, as soon as possible, it, it builds in us and it can become that full blown anxiety. So I hope that was helpful as well. Well, it was. Craig, I got to ask you, why do we do this? Like, why do we suffer in silence? I believe a little bit of his ego. I believe a, little, a lot of it is fear, you know, false expectations appearing real because every I love that analogy because it's so true. Everything is way, way worse than you think. And, you know, I, I, I think one of the things that I struggle with is fear of rejection, but it's not the fear of rejection. It's the fear of the fear of rejection. And so recently I realized that and I started leaning into rejection. I started asking, you know, I was like, I hope this person says no. And now I grow from that. But you know, with the self-doubt and the suffering in silence, you know, we don't want people to, especially in this day and age, you know, it goes back to what we were talking about, the comparison syndrome. Everybody's got an amazing life on Instagram and everybody's got an amazing life on Facebook and all that stuff. And heaven forbid you, you say, hey, I've got a weakness. Well, now you're the only person that's admitting a weakness. But admitting a weakness is definitely a strength in this day and age uh, if you think about it the right way because disclosure is disarming. I know that from this episode, Chris, you'll probably have people emailing and saying, thank you so much uh, for having that guy on, you know, that Canadian guy who had a funny accent and he told his story. You know, it was really helpful to me. And, you know, that's what really matters. So going back to the question, you know, why do we suffer in silence? It's because we're scared to show a weakness. But listen – you know, as someone who does some speaking and stuff like, you know, you've seen great speakers and they all start with their story about how they struggled. And if they didn't, we would sit there and we'd think, oh, well, you know, your advice is good, but it's not going to work for me because you're Mr. Perfect. No, you have to go up there and you have to say, hey, listen, here are my flaws. Here's where I struggled. Here's what I did to become successful. And that's why you can do it, too, because I was, um, you know, struggling at one point. So I hope that people who are suffering in silence right now will say, you know what? I got to get this off my chest. And whether you have to go to a therapist, there's nothing wrong with that. Whether you have to go and just start doing YouTube videos and, you know, make YouTube your therapist, by all means, go ahead. Or if you have a friend or if you have, you know, your spouse or partner or whatever, just go. And if you're really scared to do it, just take baby steps, you know, share a tiny bit and see what the response is. If the response is positive, if they support you, then share a little bit more. If the response is negative, then say, okay, I'm not going to share with that person. I'm going to try somebody else. So that's where I encourage people to start and not suffer in silence anymore because it, it does not serve you. That's for sure. Incredible advice, Craig. And, and we could just like cut the whole thing off right here and everybody would have massive value just from the podcast up to this point. I actually want to shift a little bit into the success that you have had. Now, over 100,000 men and women have used your fitness products. That's probably a low number by this point. So on one side, you are this world-renowned trainer. But then on the other side, the other half of the world views you as this business and productivity expert coach. So how have you done so well in both worlds? I think it all comes down to the fact that I've always wanted to do things faster and more efficiently. And so that's, you know, I was always into exercise when I was younger and that got me into the fitness space. And then I created a program that at the time was kind of revolutionary. You know, I was saying, 
back in the day of everyone going to the gym for an hour and a half, I was saying, hey, go to the gym for half an hour, three times a week, or just do this in your basement. And that allowed me to stand out. Now, today, you don't, you're not going to stand out with that message, not in the day of CrossFit and four-minute workouts and all that stuff. But I, you know, I was fortunate. I had some luck, some timing that allowed me to do that. And I also had good coaching and mentoring. So 2006 was a very pivotal year for me. I suffered through those crippling anxiety attacks. But at the same time, as I mentioned earlier, I hired my first business coach at the same time that I started having that six-week anxiety attack. And I hired a coach and getting coaching from him gave me like, here's how you actually do this right, as opposed to the way that I was fumbling through it for the three or four years before that. And when I got the coach, I got exponential results with the fitness business, allowed me to go and share and pass that on to other people. And, you know, then that's when I started moving into coaching other people and helping people become more productive and looking at their life with a 30,000 view and having that, you know, focusing on values and vision, what I do today and the perfect day formula stuff, because I, I always liked fitness, but I, at the same time, I was always trying to find a way out of fitness. Um, I think your wife is kind of on the same sort of thing right now. Like she's really, really great following in the fitness world, but also moving into more of helping people on different level, right? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And, and you know, one thing I'll say for a lot of people, they're like, how can you possibly do that? I'm like, what do you mean? How can I, I, I want to do this. I'm going to do this. There's nobody stopping me. I mean, um, all politics aside, you have a, a guy who used to be a real estate guy and then a television guy who's the president. I mean, you just, whatever you want to do, you just go and do it. You don't, you're not pigeonholed by being a real estate agent for the rest of your life because you spent five years in real estate. You're not pigeonholed by being a fitness expert for the rest of your life because you were a fitness expert. You can go and get expertise and change your career many times and do whatever you want uh, once you build the learnable skills as we talked about. So that's how I was able to do it. Getting good mentoring is probably the most important thing that's allowed me to do all of this. So who's been some of your best mentors you've had? Yeah, so the first one that I, I will uh, hired was Tom Venuto, who was very famous in the fitness world. And, you know, I might think he might even be semi-retired now, but Tom Venuto had an ebook called Burn the Fat, Feed the Muscle, and he's the guy that I hired in 2006. And he asked me a very pivotal question. on the. It was actually the very first question on our very first coaching call. He said, Craig, what do you want your business to look like in five years from now? And I said, Tom, I want to have a business like Early to Rise. And so at the time, I was just in the fitness space. And Early to Rise was this business that had been around for five or six years, which was started by another one of my mentors, a guy named Mark Ford. And Early to Rise was a newsletter, and it sold products that helped people improve their wealth, their health, personal relationships. All the, I mean, it basically made you a renaissance man or woman. I mean, just all around you got everything going for you. And I just loved it. I mean, it was, I read the daily email all the time. And so Tom said, yeah, okay, I know that one. I love that too. And so here's what we're going to do, Craig. We're going to make you a better sp uh, speaker, coach, trainer, networker, and writer. And, you know, as an introverted type of person, a person with introverted tendencies, I'm not an introvert. I have introverted tendencies. Uh, I'm not labeling myself. As I love the reframe before. there. Yeah, it's totally, you know, I reframe everything that I say now. And so I went and I started going to events and I started getting out of my comfort zone and talking to strangers and doing all this stuff, which was difficult. And I built up my skills as a speaker and I, you know, struggled through learning how to become a better writer and a better communicator. And I did all of these things. I was taking action. And then I, I said the same sort of thing to a friend of mine in 2010 that I wanted to move towards an early to rise type business. And the next thing you know, he's at an event. His name is Matt Smith, and he's another big mentor of mine. He's a business partner, one of my best friends, a mentor, coach, all these things to me. And he was at an event with the owner of Early to Rise, Mark Ford. And Mark Ford said to Matt, my mentor, he said, hey, you know what? I'm ready to sell Early to Rise. And then Matt sent me an email and said, hey, Craig, are you interested in buying it? And it was five years, three months, and 17 days after I said to Tom that I wanted to have a business like Early to Rise, that I bought the business of my dreams. So it was three months and 17 days late, so don't hold that against me, but otherwise right on time. And that was, you know, that was like a secret, you know, the secret movie type moment for me. But it wasn't the law of attraction. It was the law of action attraction. And I've added that word and I talk about it in my book. And I believe that you can attract great opportunity into your life when you do the work. You have to do the work. You have to improve the skills. You have to go out there 
meet the people. And you have to tell people what you're looking for. But if you do all of those things, Chris, you will attract the opportunity into your life. Because I said I wanted a business like Early to Rise. And I got Early to Rise. So, I mean, to me, that is just like, boom, you know, vision board type of stuff when you go out and you move towards it. So Mark Ford, Matt Smith, uh, Tom Venuto, and then Bedro Skoulian, uh, you know, one of my best friends, absolutely, business partner for seven or eight years now. But he also is, I mean, I hired him last year. I spent $30,000 I get $30,000 to my best friend to make me a better salesperson and to start my coaching programs. So, you know, I, I pay and I invest because when you pay, you pay attention. And he is also one of the hardest guys on me. I mean, if he sees me doing something wrong, he'll give me a dirty look. And that's what you want. You want to find a mentor who, when they give you a dirty look, you, you just feel, I mean, he, he was not trying to make me feel bad, but I felt bad. And I was like, I can't ever disappoint this guy again. And that's what you have to have in a mentor, because if you don't care what they think, if you don't care if you let them down or if they're not giving you accountability and they're failing you, then they could give you the best advice in the world. But it's going to be useless because you don't have the accountability. So those are my big mentors in my life that have made a huge, huge difference uh, for me personally and professionally. Yeah, I wouldn't want the uh, dirty look from Bedros either. That'd be oh, scary. Oh, man. Dirty Armenian look. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't want to see him angry. You know, that's a great story you told and, and, and a great testimony for mentors. And you've kind of taken your mentorship and you've put it into, God, this sounds like a commercial, but I really mean it. You've put it into your perfect day formula, something that you mentioned about five minutes ago. What yeah. in the world is the perfect day formula? Yes. Yeah, so it's not when you sit around in a hammock and drink margaritas all day. That is that is my uh, perfect margarita formula or my margarita formula day, which is totally different. But the perfect day is what I want people to picture. You know, I, I love uh, vision and imagery. And so imagine the day where you I mean, you're, everything's rocking and rolling. You're getting so much done. And you're moving ahead. Not only are you getting a lot of little stuff done, but you know you're getting real big stuff done. Like you wrote like three chapters of your book, or you had an amazing meeting, or you gave me an amazing presentation. But you also did a bunch of other stuff that move you ahead towards your legacy in life. That is a perfect day, and you can structure your day so you have a perfect day every day. And it comes down to morning routines and rituals, and what I call rules for your life, which is like building in a powerful operating system. Because people hate that idea of like, oh, I don't want rules for my life. I don't want more structure in my life. I've already got all these rules from the government and business you know, industry and all this stuff. But if you think about it this way, that you're putting an operating system into yourself, like a powerful iPhone-level operating system that allows it to do amazing things. Now, imagine if you were running on a high-performance operating system – you would have a perfect day every day. You would, you know, you'd write that thousand word article in less time than ever. You would write those chapters for your book. You would get on a sales call and close every client. You would do whatever it is that you do in your, in your business, your career. You would just have like, oh man, I nailed it again. I nailed it again because of my routines, my rituals, my practice, my skill development. That's the perfect day. And it's also allowing you to get home and concentrate on what counts. So I'm a big fan of Stoic philosophy, Chris, and there's a book that, or a philosopher that I love, uh, Epictetus, and he had this phrase, control what you can, cope with what you can't, and concentrate on what counts. And then in the perfect day formula, I applied the, the 3C formula, control to your morning, you control your morning, you control what time you get up, how you start your day, what you eat, you know, the attitude that you have, and then you cope with the chaos in the afternoon. You control that by, by planning ahead for it. And you do all of this structure and routine and discipline so that at four o'clock or five o'clock or six o'clock or whatever time it is that you quit work, you go home to your, your spouse, your partner, whatever, your kids, your hobbies, your self-care, all this stuff that you've worked so hard for and you get to enjoy it. So it's the concentrate or sorry, the control and the coping with the chaos. That's important. But you're doing all of the work so that you can enjoy life. And that's that's a perfect day formula to me. And that's what I coach people on. And I love it when I can help an entrepreneur like Bedros, who is you know, growing the 15th uh, fastest franchise, not just fitness franchise, but 15th fastest franchise in America. And he gets home at four o'clock so he can play um, guitar with his son before dinner, have dinner with his family, and then play ping pong with his kids after dinner. Now, that is a victory in a coaching client. Um, you know, he's hired me like I've hired him, and that's a perfect day because he's moved ahead towards his legacy 
professionally and personally. And that's, that's life to me. You know what? You described it perfectly using Bedros as an example. It's what everybody strives for. They want to be this epic entrepreneur on fire, but they also want to be happy at home. And I feel like people tend to sacrifice the happiness at home for the thriving business. Do you tend to see that in your clients? Absolutely. And, and so I do these workshops and one of the first things that we do in the workshops is we get the values of the person out because what you'll see, and, and this is not just related to work, but also in personal relationships. Like, you know, you'll see, you'll meet somebody and you'll say, oh, you know, what's your number one priority in life? Oh, you know, I want to find that uh, perfect, you know, mate, that boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever. And you go, okay, well tell me what you, you know, your schedule looks like. Ah, oh, you know, I'm working these 12 hour days and you're like, um, back up a bit, rewind. I thought your number one priority in life was finding a boyfriend or girlfriend. Yeah, yeah, you know, but I'm really busy. Well, no, no, back up, back up. If your number one priority in life is finding the mate and you're not dating anyone, you're, you're lying, you're incongruent. And that's why you're so stressed out because when your actions are misaligned with your goals, it causes internal stress in us. And it's the same with that example that you gave, you know, like everybody's like watching Gary Vee videos and it's like, I got to hustle. I got to grind 16 hours a day. Um, yeah, you got a, a wife and kids at home, bro. Uh, this is not congruent with you living your best life. And so you have to prioritize and you have to take a look at your values. And that's why we start there. What are your true values? And then your values drive everything that you do. Now you can still be a mega successful entrepreneur. I mean, Richard Branson has a pretty good life. He doesn't, you know, work crazy hours. I mean, he's obviously a little bit further down the road, but then there's like people like Bedros and I have this other coaching client named Isabel who has the same sort of, um, schedule. And, and there's lots of people who are able to look like they have it all and they do have it all. I mean, I'm sure they, they all have bad days. Don't get me wrong. They're not perfect, but they have really gotten as close to it as possible because they have prioritized their values in life. And they're not doing a whole bunch of little stuff that a lot of those people who are grinding out 12 or 16 hours a day are doing and justifying it by thinking that they have to do it. So we can go on forever on that, but it all starts with your values. It's incredible. And I'm so afraid to ask this question because I don't want to sound like a commercial, but to me, this is the most important thing in the world for all of the entrepreneurs listening is to find this balance or you can't keep going. So what would be better for them to start with your book? or the perfect day formula kit. By the way, thank you oh. for sending it to the house. It's awesome. Yeah, no problem. So the kit is my life's work in a box and it is an extension of the book. So, you know, the book is a great place to start, you know, get the audio book, get the, get the book. It's a short read. You're going to go through it and you go, Oh my gosh, yes. Nailed it. This is going to help me structure my day. And then from there you go, okay, I'm ready to like do a bit more introspection, deep dive and the kit. So the kit comes with all of these success tools where there's little mini booklets that ask you questions. A lot of it is Socratic questioning and, uh, you know, it's all a lot of the, uh, stoic philosophy, introspection and self-reflection. It gets all the clutter out of your head. So right now you probably have a million ideas running around in your head at a million miles an hour. And you're like, Oh my gosh, you got to do all these things. Um, you know, I'm overwhelmed with opportunity. I'm like, you know, should I go down this sales route? Should I, you know, create this new product? Should I invest in this business? And you, you know, when you become successful, you actually get more overwhelmed with all these new opportunities because people see you successful and they want to partner with you. So what you need to do is go take all that clutter out of your head, answer the questions that are in the kit, get it down on paper, and now you can start organizing it. You can start going, oh, wait a minute. This is, this is too far off my path. This is my expertise, my zone of genius. I'm going to stick in this lane and become more successful because what I found, Chris, is if you want to do great things, you have to do fewer things. And that is really what you need to do. I mean, there's very few people who are like Elon Musk who can go and do, you know, rockets into space and, and Tesla and all this stuff. I mean, he's sacrificed family. I mean, he's all, you know, he sacrificed pretty much everything. So don't ever compare yourself to that. But look at somebody who's successful in your industry, who's focused, who's stuck in on what really matters to them. Like, you know, Picasso was a painter. He wasn't a painter and an author and all this other stuff. And that's why he became a legend. So you want to get stuck in on that stuff. And the questions in the kit, which are the next level, will help you do that. So, you know, if someone's like, I'm iffy on this Craig Valentine guy, start with the book. I'll win you over there. I guarantee it. And if you're like, yes, I need to do the, I need to jump in into the deep end and get all this stuff out of my head, get the vision, get the clarity, and then break it down into, you know, building my personal operating system and then using uh, what I call the five pillars of success, which is what I learned from my weight loss clients, which can transfer into any area of your life to help you uh, change any habit or 
do any, I mean, literally it can help you do anything from write a book to find the love of your life, to find the home of your dreams, to, you know, stop smoking, stop swearing. The five pillars of success will allow you to do that. And that's the third component of the kit along with the vision stuff and the rules slash personal operating system. God, it really is so good and, and so valuable. You said something that I think is one of the best quotes I've ever heard on the podcast yet. And that is, if you want to do great things, you have to do fewer things. And it's funny because the tagline for the podcast is when good people do good things or when good uh, people make good money, they do great things, right? So on yep. the subject of doing great things, you've achieved so much up to this point. What role has generosity played in your success? Great question. And so in the spirit of generosity, I do need to say that I didn't totally take that quote from Greg McCowan and essentialism, but it highly influenced me. I don't think it was the, it's the exact words, but I mean, though it was very close and I was like, I'm going to tweak it to that. So I need to give gratitude to Greg McCowan and essentialism for that quote. So generosity has been a big shift for me. So I grew up with a scarcity mindset as a lot of people listening to this podcast probably have, uh, you know, anybody from a rags to riches story, probably worries about losing it all. Um, you know, some people are obviously naturally generous. I wasn't, I wasn't generous with my time. Um, that's hurt in personal relationships. I wasn't generous with my money at the start. What I was generous with, I was generous with my time in professional relationships. I mean, if somebody wanted help, I would give them help. I would do stuff for free, all that sort of stuff. I didn't value myself enough and that was a problem for me. Um, but in personal relationships, I was not generous enough until, you know, I started getting into the gratitude stuff and still I started getting into meditation and becoming a more patient person instead of trying to rush through everything. And so then a few years ago, we had one other epic kind of shift in my life that was thank uh, I thank my business partner, Matt Smith for, and we started getting involved with the toys for tots charity drive that is in every major American city. And so this will be our sixth year of doing it. And we invite over a hundred entrepreneurs to Denver every, uh, it's the first week in December, first weekend in December every year. And last year we bought over $165,000 worth of toys. So the way that the toys for tots drive works is you go and you buy the toys and you give them to the Marines and the Marines distribute them to community centers and the community centers distribute them to individual families of disadvantaged children who otherwise would not have a toy on Christmas morning. And Denver alone, Denver, one city, needs 90,000 toys a year, which is un like your mind is blown. I mean, I'm sure you never had a problem with getting a toy on Christmas. Now, imagine you didn't have a toy on Christmas. That is unbelievable. And now imagine that 90,000 times in every metro area in the United States. So these places are always short by like 20,000, 30,000 toys every year. And so we got behind it. And now we make it into a big party. And it is one of it's, it's probably my second favorite thing that I do all year long, and we bring all these people together, and we we know that the toys are going to the end user. It's not like another charity where you're like, ah, we're going to give fifty dollars to it, and you know, thirty of the dollars might make it to the end person. No, every you know, obviously the toys are getting to the kids, and so you know that changed me a lot, especially when I met somebody who came to the event who said they actually used the service. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I just need to get out of my head and stop worrying about, you know, I actually don't buy a lot of stuff. I'm, you know, I was, I was a minimalist before there was minimalist. Um, I don't have a lot of stuff. And so I'm grateful for that, but I'm just like, you know, I don't need another, you know, whatever phone or something I need to, to give. And so that really shifted my mindset. And so generosity that way has been really really good for me personally. I'm like, and selfishly the toys for tots has helped me more than it's any help kit helped any kid. But then in business that allowed me to go out and like, listen, all I care about is going out and how can I help other people? And one of the things that I'm pretty proud of for myself is my network, my connections. I know like if you said I need somebody, uh, to be on the podcast in this industry, I could find you somebody in 10 seconds. And I just love it. I, I, I'll admit I keep spreadsheets of all the people that I know and I, <laughs> and I go through them and I'm like, who can I connect this person to today? That's because genius. after this, I'll be sending you five or 10 podcast people. I mean, I'm pretty sure you know Jay Ferrugia who lives in Santa Monica or if you guys don't, you should, you should, 
you should be on his show and you, he should be on yours. I mean, I can, I can do this all day long and I love it. I get such a rush out of it because it's giving and growing the network. That's incredible. So I've got to ask this scarcity mindset that you broke out of, and now you've become one of the best connectors on the planet. Let's just call you that. How did you, tra how did you transform from scarcity to, you know, being this person that knows everybody and, and does so much for everyone? Well, I've always really focused on the connections and, and it's definitely um, a, a little exaggeration, hyperbole to call me a, a greatest networker on the planet. But, you know, we'll just play off of that for, for, for a while. But I would say that what this is going to sound bad for fitness stuff, but getting out of the fitness industry was a really big breakthrough for me in the scarcity mindset because so my fitness experience, I mean, I, I you know, I loved helping people with fitness, but business wise, I was selling eBooks and videos and it's a highly competitive market. And every year the claims get crazier and crazier and crazier. And, you know, there's people coming in that are lying to people. And I just thought, you know, one of these days I'm going to get sued. I'm going to lose everything. And I, and I, I actually built up resentment towards the industry. And that's why, and you know, one of the reasons why I wanted to get out of it was because of that. And now that I've been able to shift into this perfect day world, you know, I, I don't have that scarcity mindset anymore because I know that I can go and do a million projects with a million friends, which is another benefit of having a huge network. Like if, you know, if somebody came along and passed a law that said, Craig Valentine, you cannot be an entrepreneur. I could go and work for amazing companies and make a lot of money with the skills that I have and work for somebody else because I know people in a million industries. So that was the scarcity mindset that I had, you know, coming from, you know, a poor farmer background. You know, my father was an alcoholic. We didn't have a lot of money. I had patches on my clothes when I went to school. I was very embarrassed by that. And, you know, money, you know, bad money mindset from parents. Like I'm sure you've had a million people on who had, you know, were infected by bad, by their parent, by their loving parents with a bad money mindset. Um, you know, they just didn't know any better. And to this day, my mother thinks I spend money on frivolous things. And, and I, I do in a way, but, um, and especially in her eyes, but to me it's not. And so I got rid of it by getting out of a negative space. And so I think that really helped me and uh, I'm sure that wasn't the answer you expected, but that's what's really helped me. That was a remarkable, remarkable answer. So a couple quick things here, uh, that I always ask people at the end, what is one of your all time favorite moments of giving? Oh man. Um, I would have to say, Every single year, we break the record for Toys for Tots. So the first year, we did 50,000. The next year, we did 103,000. The next year after that, we did like 131,000. And then we did 164,000. No, then we did 149. And then we did 164,000 uh, last year. And so I'm, I'm always like sweating, like, oh, my goodness, are we going to beat last year's record? Because um, I guess this is kind of bragging, but every year I spend enough to basically buy a small BMW at Walmart. And, and this is what we do. We actually bus, we take three buses to three different Walmarts with a hundred entrepreneurs. We get a separate checkout space in the garden center. And we, at one point, like all the people that are there, my friends who are entrepreneurs, you know, some people are spending $400. I spend $25,000 and you can get $400 worth of toys in a cart. So for me, I basically have to line up 60 shopping carts of toys at Walmart. And it's pretty neat to check out like all these Hot Wheels and stuff. And, and we get people to bring their kids and their kids are buying toys for other kids. And the kids are like, this is the best thing, mommy and daddy. Thank you so much for doing this. And they're not like they're going, oh, I wish I was buying this for me. No, they're there going, I'm buying this for somebody else. And they're going to have a toy on Christmas. And we change those kids' lives, those those, you know, they're not spoiled kids, but they're kids who have an amazing life. You know, their parents are successful entrepreneurs. I'm just getting so fired up thinking about this coming up in a few months from now. It totally changes a kid. You might have a kid who's like, you know, a little spoiled and comes in and has that moment and it can truly change them and put them on a path of giving. And so I think that at the end of the day, that's, that's the absolute best thing that I've been involved with. Not only do I love that story, you probably don't know this, but I promised Bedros that I'm going to help raise money or toys because your big event is December 2nd. Am I right? Yeah, ours is December 2nd. And Bedros is like blowing us out of the water this year with his million dollar pledge with all the fit body people. So I yep. think he's he's doing it the same weekend in, in uh, Southern California. It's, I mean, man, it's amazing. So we've got um, 
um, my 40th birthday party on December 2nd. My birthday is actually oh, November 24th. Birthday. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to put in the invitation. Everyone who's coming to this big party that we're throwing has to bring something for Toys for Tots, uh, money awesome. or toys. And then we're going to forward that down to Bedros there. So I love, oh, love, love great. that you guys Thank are doing so that. All right. So before I ask you the last question, where can we find you? Everyone's going to want to reach out. They're going to want to check out the stuff you have to offer. Where's the best place to get a hold of you? Um, well, you know what? People can email me directly, Craig at godfather.com, or they can go to Instagram.com forward slash real Craig Valentine or Twitter.com forward slash Craig Valentine. I mean, I just love to hear your, your stories. If anybody has any like, Hey, you know, I've got anxiety. My family has, you know, my son, my daughter has anxiety. Can you give a little tip or two? I'm happy to help because it's really, it's really like my life's mission to help people overcome that. I love it. All right. Last question for you. Um, our goal here. Obviously, the tagline is when good people make good money, they do great things. And so we want people to be unapologetic about their pursuit of success and wealth. So why should people be unapologetic about their pursuit of success and wealth? Because of what you can do with that money. Oh, my goodness. You can give somebody a leg up. I, I always think, you know, some kid is going to wake up on Christmas morning, some kid who's, you know, for for whatever reason, their parents are in a bad situation and they're not waking up with a toy unless Toys for Tots was there. And the Marines, gosh, God bless them. They deliver toys to all those kids. And some kid's going to wake up and go, hey, I got my toy. This is really cool. But why did I get a toy from these strangers? I want to go deeper on this and I want to figure out how I can be successful and how I can be generous. And and that person's going to go on and do great things. And so you're just you know, the world is full of bad stuff. And if you make a ton of money and you, and you're, you know, you're listening to this, so you're a good person. If you make a ton of money and you do good things with it, you're a saint. That's what it's all about. Best answer. Freaking love it. Craig, I can't thank you enough for just the transparency and the great stories and best of all, all the, the tips and knowledge that you shared with us today. Thank you so much, Chris. Uh, as I mentioned before to you, I've been on 150 plus podcasts now in the last a year and a half and the question you know the questions of the podcast always determine how good it is and this is easily going in my top five so thank you wow i'll tell you what that is that is one of the best compliments i've gotten in a long time thank you thank you thank you you are welcome thanks for listening and if you loved this episode and know of someone else who is as successful as they are generous please pass them on to me it would mean the world to me if you help me get this cause and this message out to as many listeners as i can so please, if you liked what you heard, it goes a long way if you take 30 seconds and leave me a five-star review and share this with your friends. I'll be forever grateful. And until the next episode, cheers to your success.